Thanks for joining us as we explore the good news of Jesus and his kingdom in the Gospel of Mark. For discussion guides and details about how to join us on Sundays, please visit fairoaks.org. If you have your Bibles, would you go ahead and turn with me to Mark chapter 7. We're going to be continuing on in this story as we look at two different stories in this gospel today. So we're going to be starting with verse 24 and then going into verse 37 through the end of the chapter. Well, before we jump into our text this morning, I want to ask you all a very important question. When you die one day, when you stand before your creator, the maker of heaven and earth... And he asks you, why should I let you into my kingdom, the kingdom of heaven? What would your answer be? I've asked myself this question many times and I encourage you to do the same. So church, before we move on, I seriously want you to pause and I want you to think for a second on this question. Why should God let you into his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven? Well, I know like many of you, I'm sure we we all know what the church answer is supposed to be. I find myself at times that there's a sense of entitlement and self-righteousness that creeps in at the core of my own heart. And the remedy to this entitlement and self-righteousness I have found is to be looking at God's word consistently and humbly, allowing it by God's grace and the illumination given by his Holy Spirit to define and shape my perspective on who I am apart from Christ and who I am when I am found in him. So let's go to him now in prayer and ask him to do this very thing here today as we continue on with the rest of Mark chapter 7 together. Would you please pray with me? Father, what grace you have shown us to reveal yourself to us in such a special way through the special revelation you've given us, your holy word. And through sending Jesus, your son, we see you greater through him, the way he lived his life, the way he demonstrated his humility, his grace, his mercy, and his love to those who did not deserve it. And so we pray this morning that you would show us more of who you are, who he is, and who we are apart from him, and who we are when we are found in your son, Jesus. Speak now through your Holy Spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, if you guys were here with us last week, you might remember the sermon that Pastor Chad gave from Mark 7, verses 1 through 23. In that section of Mark, we saw another conflict between Jesus and the religious leaders. The issue that Jesus addresses is the unclean, corrupt heart of the Pharisees. By keeping the law and even by adding their own extra rules to the law, they thought that by their external behavior, they could purify or make themselves righteous in God's eyes. The problem, however, does not lie on our outward external appearance and behavior, but that man has a heart problem that can only be changed by God's grace, by him giving us a new heart to those who repent and believe in him. And this is what Pastor Chad reminded us, that we cannot change ourselves and that we have no righteousness of our own. 
But we must come to God humbly, recognizing that it is by his grace and grace alone that we can be made new. So now as we continue on with this chapter, we're going to be transitioning scenes from Jesus being around the externally clean but totally evil and defiled at heart religious leaders to the externally unclean and yet also equally evil and defiled at heart Gentiles. And so let's jump in starting at verse 24 together. It says this, And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. So after Jesus' interaction with the hard-hearted, self-righteous Pharisees in Gennesaret, he takes his disciples on a 35-mile journey north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now we do not know exactly why Jesus chose to go to this specific area, but we do know one thing, that he went with intentionality. This had to raise many questions among his chosen followers. They knew the direction Jesus was leading them was headed straight towards the Hellenistic Gentile territory. If you were a Jewish person growing up in this time, you would be very familiar with Israel's history. You would have known that Sidon was infamous for giving birth to Israel's most wicked queen in its history, Jezebel. Tyre and Sidon, you might as well say modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah. This place was known for its idolatry and its paganism. The disciples had to have been thinking about the last words Jesus spoke to the Pharisees. And so I imagine there's these huge kind of red flags going off in their heads at this point. Um, Jesus, you just talked about the wickedness of the human heart. And how from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And I'm pretty sure you just described the people of Tyre and Sidon. So why are we going towards this region of the very people who celebrate and boast in living a lifestyle adamantly opposed to God's law? These people aren't even externally trying to look clean, much less are they caring about the internal condition of their heart. But Jesus did everything with intentionality. And this story is no different. What we are about to see is that Jesus is going to peel back another layer of the kingdom of God, revealing an important truth right in front of his disciples' eyes. And here it is. The disciples were about to witness in a greater demonstration than they have ever seen Jesus do yet. That the good news of Jesus and his kingdom is not just for the Jews, but for the whole world. So let's continue on and see just what his reason was for traveling such a long distance to this pagan Gentile region. Well, first we see in verse 24 that once he arrives in the region of Tyre and Sidon, he enters a house and does not want anyone to know. We've seen this pattern before. Jesus often got away from the crowds, but he never lost sight of his mission. And this story is no different. He just had a major conflict with the Pharisees. And remember in the previous chapter, in chapter 6, John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod. 
So tensions between Jesus and the Pharisees and the Herodians were rising as word was continuing to spread through all the region of this man and the great works that he was doing. Jesus knew this very well. And he also knew that his time on earth was limited. He wanted to make sure he invested the time personally in teaching his disciples. And so this was part of his plan for taking them to the region of Tyre and Sidon. While Jesus wanted to remain anonymous while traveling into this region with his disciples, it is obvious that someone noticed him with his 12 disciples. Entering, uh, entering into this region, and so word quickly spread about his arrival. And so while Jesus is at this house with his disciples, it's not long before they are interrupted. Look at the rest of verse 24 with me. It says, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Why could he not be hidden? While this region was made up of a majority of pagan, Hellenistic, or Greek-speaking Gentiles, word about Jesus had already made its way as far north as Tyre and Sidon. And well, how do we know that? Because in chapter 3 of Mark, we see a great crowd following Jesus. And in this crowd, it says that there were people coming from this region of Tyre and Sidon. I love how Matthew Henry describes this scenario where he says, He, being Jesus, could not be hid. Though a candle be put under a bushel, the sun cannot. Christ was too well known to be long incognito or hid anywhere. Isn't that true of the character and nature of Jesus? Wherever he went... The people in that area were affected by him. He was the light of the world. Is that true of you here today? Can you say with confidence that I have encountered the God-man Christ Jesus and my life has been totally changed ever since? That's exactly what happens to our characters in the story here today. Look at verse 25 and 26 with me. It says, but immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast out the demon out of her daughter. So now our story really picks up with a very interesting encounter involving Jesus and this Gentile woman. This Gentile woman had heard of Jesus she had heard of the amazing things that he had done. And when she caught wind of him actually being in her town, well, she immediately went searching to find him. This is very significant. Her desperation to get to Jesus, to see her daughter healed, led to a reckless type of boldness. Out of all the people to approach Jesus, this might be the most shocking incident ever recorded. This is what Mark wants us to notice in this narrative. Culturally, this woman had three significant setbacks that she, as well as Jesus and his disciples, were well aware of. Look at what is pointed out to us in verse 25 and 26. But immediately a woman. Okay, stop there. Strike one. A respectable Jewish teacher would never associate with a woman, especially one like this. What well, goes on? What does it say? A woman who had whose little daughter had an unclean spirit. Strike two. This note is suggesting ritual impurity. Notice the language used, unclean spirit. Now look at verse 
25 going on. Immediately, a, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him. She came and fell down at his feet. And now the woman was a Gentile. Strike three. As we already mentioned, Gentiles were pagan, unclean externally and internally. Enemies of God, enemies of God's people and like all sinners, enemies of God. And in verse 26, it says, The woman was a Gentile, a Phoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Why are all these details significant? Because this Gentile woman's posture and attitude and how she approaches Jesus tells us that she was well aware of all of these great barriers. And how did she approach him? Well, what does it say in verse 25 and 26? It says she fell down at his feet. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. She fell down at his feet and begged him. This is a person who knows their true state and their true need. The Pharisees couldn't see it. They didn't know it. They had deceived themselves into thinking that their external behavior could make them pure and right before God. God, help us to not do the same thing. We are so prone to thinking just as the Pharisees did. We think that we are good people. We believe deep down, even if we don't admit it out loud, that we deserved to be saved by God. We don't really believe we are as wicked and as unclean as the Bible tells us we are. We ignore the scriptures that tell us that no one is righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.10. Or Jeremiah 17.9 that tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? We are prone, I am prone to listen to the deceitfulness of our own depraved hearts and think that we are enough. That our self-righteousness is all we really need. That Jesus' death on a cross was just the final piece of the puzzle that we were missing to get into heaven. We've done so many good things. We just barely fall short. We try to approach God with our hand out like we are deserving, expecting him to give us the final thing we need and we feel that we deserve in order to escape eternal punishment and separation from him. Well, what a great shame and pity it will be for those people who are so deceived. This was not the attitude of the Gentile woman. The Gentile woman recognized that she was unclean, that she was wicked and depraved at heart, and she deserved nothing but God's righteous wrath and to be turned away from him. And so she fell at the very feet of the only one who is holy, who is set apart, who is clean in every way, the only one who is righteous, the only one who is also full of grace and mercy for those who recognize their need for him. Her attitude was much like that of King David. Look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 143, verses 1 through 2. David says, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness, answer me. In your righteousness, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. This is the approach we see from the Gentile woman. Her only hope and her only plea is mercy, mercy. And Jesus not giving her what she deserves. He could have shoved her off of him. He could have called her unclean and rebuked her for interrupting their meeting. That's all she deserved truly. And that's all you and I really deserve as well. We've all sinned against a holy and righteous God. 
We only deserve his right and just wrath against us. And yet, he is also a God of mercy and grace. And praise God that he will never turn away a humble, broken, and contrite heart. Do you remember we read in Psalm 51 last week where David says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. God, help us, help me to approach you in this way. Well, how Jesus responds next might really shock some of you. It didn't shock the Gentile woman, however. Look at the rest of this section here, starting in verse 27. We're going to go to verse 30. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. So here we have what is almost like a parable spoken by Jesus to this Gentile woman. And like all of Jesus's parables, there's a significant spiritual meaning behind it all. Don't miss this important revelation of God's kingdom because the Gentile woman surely did not. And this is the whole reason that Christ traveled such a great distance with his disciples for this one encounter here with this woman. What he would say next would reveal such a marvelous truth of God's kingdom. And so he says, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now there's much that could be missed here if we aren't careful. Look at what Jesus said, let the children be fed first. What is he saying here? Let the children, Jesus is referring to God's chosen people, the children of Israel. And then he says, be fed first. Isn't this the same symbolism that we just saw in the feeding of the 5,000? Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the true bread, the bread of life, came to give life and salvation to the children of Israel. But don't miss that ever so small, but so very important word, first. For Christ did not come as the bread of life only to feed the people of Israel. What we need to understand about the Messiah is that he was first to appear to the Jews, the chosen people and nation of God, in order that their salvation would be the catalyst, the light that illuminates the good news of Jesus and his kingdom to the ends of the earth. Church, don't miss this very important and glorious detail. The very purpose of the Messiah coming to the Jews first is so that their encounter with him, the miracles he performed, and the Jews' salvation would be a light to all nations. And why should that concern you? Because if you are a Christian, you have benefited from God's kingdom coming in this way. This is what the prophet Isaiah says about Messiah in Isaiah 42, verses 5 through 6. Starting in verse 5, it says this, Thus says God the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, 
who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Look also with me in Isaiah 49, verse 6. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. What is Isaiah saying here? The Messiah won't just come to be the Savior and the King of the Jews. No, that is not enough. He's far too gracious and glorious for that. This humble servant is coming and he will be the Savior and King of the world. This is what we are about to see here in the rest of this story. The Gentile woman has encountered the already not yet of God's kingdom. Jesus is still in the process of appearing to the Jews first. But a marvelous glimpse of the global reach of his salvation that is to come is caught here in this passage right in front of his disciples' eyes. Look again at verses 27 and 28. He said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. What we need to understand here is Jesus' response. Though harsh as it may seem, gives us a glimpse of how great his mercy and grace really is to not just the Gentile woman, but to us. When he refers to the Gentile woman as a dog, he is addressing a very clear and cultural distinction between Jews and Gentiles. The nation of Israel was set apart. They were sanctified by God. They were to be holy, to bear witness of God's holiness to the world. Dogs were seen culturally as unclean animals, as unholy. It was not uncommon for a Jew to view Gentiles and even refer to them as unholy, unclean dogs. For that is how they truly lived their pagan lives, immoral lives. Jesus isn't trying to insult this woman. He's drawing her to himself by testing her faith, by addressing the true spiritual reality of this woman. She could have turned away from him. She could have became angry at his response. She could have tried to insult him back. But what was her response, church? Look at verse 28 with me. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table get the children's crumbs. This is exactly what Jesus wanted to draw out of her. This is the only way for man to come to a saving faith in God. The good news of Jesus and his kingdom must be received with humility and faith. We, like the Gentile woman, must approach Christ in this same way. She knew the true reality of her situation. She recognized that this man was the Messiah and that she was unworthy. Isn't this a similar picture to the one we see in Isaiah chapter 6? When Isaiah saw the holy, holy, holy Lord seated on his throne, full of his glory, did it not change everything for him? And how did Isaiah respond in verse 5? He said, Woe is me, for I am lost. 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This should be the same testimony of all who have encountered and seen Jesus for who he really is as Lord of all. What happens when you have truly seen the Holy King, the Lord of hosts? You say, woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. The Pharisees couldn't see it. Their pride blinded their true state of uncleanliness. They were face to face with their very creator and giver of life. And yet their hearts were hardened and they denied that this man could truly be the Messiah. But for those who God gives eyes to see and ears to hear, once they recognize Jesus as the true Savior and Messiah, they humbly recognize their unworthiness, their uncleanliness of their sin, and their total dependence and need for his grace and mercy by falling on him in faith. He graciously saves them. This is exactly the Gentile woman experience. She knew the, only, the one they call the Messiah was full of love. He was full of grace. He was full of mercy. And she humbly held onto his feet and clinged onto the hope, the only hope that she had, that the Messiah would show compassion on all who would fall on him in faith and ask it of him. And how does Jesus respond? Look at verse 29. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Verse 30. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. This story reminds me so much of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector found in the Gospel of Luke. Can't you see this reflected in this chapter? Jesus' encounter with the Pharisees previously in Mark 7 revealed their self-righteousness, their denial of the state of all mankind, their depravity, their need for salvation, for cleansing, for a new heart that could only come from the Messiah. And in contrast, we see this Gentile woman face to the floor, recognizing that she is unclean. And we can hear the echo of the tax collector's prayer, O Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. As she asked Jesus for even just a crumb of his grace and mercy from his table. And praise God that Jesus demonstrates to his disciples and to all of us that there is room to be found at his table of grace. The kingdom of God was breaking through, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles, to the nations, to the whole world. And how does Jesus demonstrate this? He recognized this woman's humility and faith. He healed her daughter of the unclean spirit. He demonstrated his authority over darkness without speaking a word. He cast out this demon from this little girl and the woman went home in faith finding what Jesus had said to be true. Well, Jesus is now going to leave Tyre and Sidon. And he has accomplished what he came to do. And the disciples have now witnessed that even the ones they thought the most depraved and wicked, the unclean pagan Gentiles, could in humility and faith come to the Messiah and find grace and room for even them at his table. But Jesus is not done demonstrating this truth to his disciples. They have much more to learn and to see. 
What we're going to see next is that the good news of Jesus in his kingdom will not fall on deaf ears. But for those who by God's grace truly hear it, they will receive it with joy and proclaim it. So let's continue on with verses 31 through 37 where we're going to see Jesus continue his ministry, the gospel of the kingdom, yet again breaking through the Gentile regions. It says, Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears And after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, plainly, that is, be opened. And his eyes were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So like we saw in the region of Tyre and Sidon, word about Jesus has traveled far and wide. We know from previously in our Mark series that the demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5 who had led a legion of demons or who had a legion of demons and was miraculously healed was told by Jesus, go into all the surrounding areas and share with them what I have done for you. And well, He was obedient to what Jesus had said. And thanks to this man, the Gentiles in this region had heard of Jesus and what he had done. And so word spreads again of Jesus's arrival. And we see a group of people bringing to Jesus a man who is deaf and who had a speech impediment. And what do they do? Similarly to the Gentile woman, they beg Jesus to heal this man. Again, we can see a demonstration of humility and faith from the Gentile people here. What does Jesus do? Well, he responds to this humility and faith again with grace and mercy. Jesus takes this man aside and he demonstrates to him by touching his ears that he's going to heal this man's hearing. And then he demonstrates by spitting and touching this man's tongue that he was going to heal this man's speech. Jesus looks up to heaven and he sighs. He says, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Can you see the heart of Christ in this gentleness and compassion that he has here for this man? He sighs. He feels the reality, the weight of sin and the brokenness of this Gentile man. And it's not just the physical deafness that Jesus sees here. It's the spiritual deafness as well. Jesus' heavy side demonstrates to us that both Jews and Gentiles have the same root heart problem. That apart from God's grace, all will be deaf and refuse to hear the good news of the kingdom. The seed of the gospel must always land on good soil in order to produce lasting fruit. No matter if the person is Jew or Greek, it is the state of reality of all humanity. And this is why Jesus said after he gave the parable of the sower in Mark 4.23, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. We, like this Gentile man, are all born spiritually deaf, refusing to hear the good news of Jesus and his kingdom. 
But God demonstrates his grace and his mercy by healing all who with humility and faith ask it of him. This is what Mark wants us to see. Jesus is fulfilling the prophecy foretold of the Messiah in Isaiah 35 verses 5 through 6. Let's look at that together. It says, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And so here in this story, we can clearly see this beautiful prophecy being fulfilled. The Messiah has come and he is opening the eyes of the blind and the ears of the deaf and the mouth of the mute. This man met the Messiah and he was changed forever. And how do we know this? Because look at verse 36 with me. It says, and Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Once this deaf man had his ears opened, he truly heard and believed the good news of the kingdom of Jesus. And then his tongue was loosened. He couldn't help but proclaim all that the Lord had done for him. The good news of the kingdom breaking through to the whole world cannot be contained by those who have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. While Jesus tells them to keep this encounter to themselves, they cannot. When the Gentile woman met Jesus, she was forever changed. Do you think she kept the experience that she had to herself? The deaf and mute man felt the grace and mercy of Jesus physically demonstrated to him in his healing. And once he was healed and he heard the voice of his Savior, well, he could not help but proclaim to everyone he encountered just what Jesus had done for him. Has this been your experience, church? Have you recognized that apart from the humility and grace of Jesus, willingly stepping down from his throne of glory into our brokenness, we could not and would not ever come to him? That if he didn't open our ears to hear and receive the truth of the gospel and open our mouths to confess our need for him and to proclaim his praises, if he didn't open our eyes to behold his glory, we could never and we would never come to him. All people must have their hearts softened, their eyes illuminated, their ears open, their tongues untwisted. Jesus is the only one who can do that for us. Only Jesus And so as we close today, I want to ask you that same question I asked at the top of the service. If you died today and you stood before Jesus and and he asked you, why should I let you into my kingdom? What will your answer be? Well, I hope your answer would be this. In humility and in faith, I desperately fell at your feet recognizing my uncleanliness and my unworthiness. I saw my great weight of sin and my need to be saved from that sin. And you graciously and mercifully saved me. You took my sin upon yourself and traded me your righteousness. You opened my deaf ears to hear and believe the good news of you and your kingdom. So as we bow our heads together, I want to ask you this question. Has this been your experience? 
Have you humbly in faith come to the Savior and Messiah, Christ Jesus, the one who is full of grace and mercy? Let's pray together. Father, what wonderful news we see in this story here. That you make room for sinners like me, for those undeserving of your love, undeserving of your grace and mercy. Those are the very people that you came to save. That all of us are unworthy to be accepted, to be brought into your family. And yet that is what grace is. You've shown unmerited favor to the world by sending your son Jesus to us. And so Lord, I ask now in this place that you would have mercy on the people here. That for those who have deaf ears, that you would open their ears to hear for the first time, truly believe and cling to the good news of the gospel. And that good news is that those who fall on the Savior's feet with humility and faith will never be turned away. That there is no one who can out the love and grace and mercy of God. That he graciously always has his hands open, his arms open, ready to receive those who would come to him. And so now, Lord, we ask that your spirit would work, that your word would work, that you would convict those who have been on the fence, who've never really truly given their lives to this glorious Savior, that they would find him here right now in this place. The good news of the kingdom has not changed in 2,000 years since it was brought here to this earth. And so the good news is here today available to all who with humility and faith would fall on the feet of Jesus, the one full of grace and mercy. And so now, Lord, we ask that you would help us to find that humility, that you would break down the walls of pride and break down the blindness to seeing our own true state that you would pierce the heart of the hardened sinner like you pierced my hardened heart. And that you would give us a new heart like you promised in your word for those who would believe. Lord, work transformation in the people here today. May we go out willing to proclaim the good news that we've met Jesus and that there's room for even you at his table. May we share that with the world around us. Give us courage, give us boldness, Lord. We pray this in your son Jesus' name, amen.